0: When we tell the Christmas story, we speak of shepherds, mangers, wise men, and angels, but no mentions of the Dragon of Christmas. Yes, you heard right. Revelation 12 tells us about the dragon and his attempt to kill the baby Jesus. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. It's a terrifying picture. Matthew 2, 13-23 tells us how the attack on Jesus and Mary was carried out by Israel's King Herod. Because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Herod had all the boys of Bethlehem, two years and younger, put to death. This, too, was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 15.
1: Well, here we are already on the fifth message out of seven on the Word Made Flesh. This morning, I want to present to you the Christmas dragon. Now, this is uh, about the only character on the store shelves that is even remotely authentic when it comes to the Christmas story. When we think of the nativity scene we think of the characters that are standing around the manger beholding the baby Jesus we think of Mary and Joseph we think of the animals that are in the stable we think of the shepherds and the angels all gathered around think of the star over the over the manger and the wise men that's just about every nativity scene that anybody has has got that but i have never yet seen a nativity scene that includes the Christmas Dragon. Now, we we uh, we forget that there is in fact an invisible Christmas Dragon, and we have really truly sterilized the Christmas story. We want to keep it simple. We want to keep it. Uh, we want to keep it kid friendly. Uh, we want to give it a G rating. It's it's not scary at all. But I'm going to tell you, the story of Christmas is all about a mighty battle in the heavenly realms. You probably never heard of the Christmas dragon, and I can tell you the Christmas dragon is not this warm and cuddly inflatable dragon. This is more like what the Christmas dragon looks like, a vicious seven-headed dragon. This dragon, this Christmas dragon, I'm calling him the Christmas dragon because he definitely appears at this time. It's the most fierce and deadly and ugly creatures that humanity has ever known. And he goes by various names. Let me just share with you quickly some of the names, and you know these names. He's known as the snake. He first appears in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. We know him as Lucifer, Satan, which means adversary. We know him as the devil, which means slanderer. We know him as the father of lies. Jesus called him that. In the book of Revelation, he's called Apollyon, which means the king of the demons. Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, you you cannot worship both mammon and God because you'll love one and hate the other. Mammon is the demon God of money and wealth, and I hope there's nobody here today that worship him. He's called the prince of darkness, Belial, Beelzebub. He's called the prince of the power of the air, and he's called the Dragon. In fact, in the book of Revelation, he's called the dragons 13 times. I want to read for you a passage of scripture from Revelation chapter 12. We're looking at the first nine verses if you want to follow along in your Bible. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. And so your Bible might say a great sign. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and with seven crowns on his head, on his head's His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Now, when we look at the book of Revelation, and particularly uh, chapter 12, chapter 12, John is giving us a bird's-eye view of the, the epic battle that has been raging throughout the centuries. The battle began in Genesis chapter 3. You know the story. Satan goes head-to-head with God by tempting Adam and Eve. And as you may or may not know, uh, it looked like Satan had won. But I got to remind you this morning that it was just the battle. It was not the war. Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve decided they were not going to obey God. They decided that they were going to obey or listen to the serpent. They decided not to trust God. They decided not to put their faith in God, and in that moment that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the moment that they died. Now, we read here in Revelation 12 the fulfillment of the epic battle between the Virgin Mary and the children of Israel versus Satan. Now, some of you are sitting here this morning, you're wondering to yourself, what battle exactly are you talking about, Pastor Allen? Well, John, in this passage of chapter 12, is giving us a summary of that battle. Now, to understand this, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 3, and here's what we read in Genesis 3.15. The, the ancient fathers of the faith, they've called this the proto-evangelium, and it says, I will cause, and this is, this is God speaking now to Satan, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. What we're seeing here, folks, is is God telling us what is going to happen in the future through his son, Jesus. Let me explain it further to you. The the striking of the heel is Satan's uh, attempt to destroy Jesus, and of course, the striking of Satan's head by Christ is the destruction of Satan. And in this, in this picture here, in the background, it's a Caravaggio painting, and you see the Virgin Mary's foot, which represents also Israel, and you see the foot of Jesus on the foot of Satan. And this is what we call the first evangelistic message in the whole Bible. It's really quite thrilling. So, folks, look at this the great and important part of the christmas story and the gospel message is in fact the defeat of satan now as i'm looking out here this morning i know i know most of you some i don't know but i know most of you and i know that every one of us at some point at some time in our life has has experienced satanic attack in great ways. Some of you have, have got the scars, and some of you still have the wounds to show uh, the the effect that Satan has had on your life. Well, folks, the gospel, and particularly the Christmas story, is all about the defeat of Satan. So last week we talked about the Magi, and I told you that God spoke to them through the language that they understood, and what was that language? Well, these were people uh, that that were able to read the stars. They read the constellations, and it all had meaning. Uh, we would call this we would call this astrology. Back then, it was not so much a satanic thing as it is today. There was different systems of astrology. With them, it was more astronomy and astrology. And God spoke to them by causing a star to appear that revealed to them that the king of the Jews was born. And you know the story, they they left their land, we believe it was Persia. They left their land and they came to Jerusalem to worship the baby Jesus. And of course, Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem, and that's why they had to ask for instructions from Herod. In fact, he was born in Bethlehem. But you can go back and listen to that message later if you want. But I want you to see something very, very important. Now, here's what David says in Psalm 19, 1 to 4a. He says, the heavens proclaim, they speak, they have a message. They have a message about the glory of God. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Did you see it night after night? What's, what's David saying here? There's a message in the night sky that makes God known. They speak without a sound or a word, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to the whole earth. Now, Here's what you need to know, is that God speaks to all people. And I've heard this many times. You've heard it too, maybe you've wondered it. What happens to people who never hear about Jesus? Or what happens to those that, that don't know God and don't have the benefit of a Christian upbringing or even a Jewish upbringing. Well, the fact is, is God does speak to all people. What David is saying here, and it's really important, David is saying that the ancients, as they looked to the night sky, as they looked to the day sky, God was speaking. Dr. Michael Heiser called it astral prophecy. That is a prophecy that could be seen in the stars. Now this is something that may be new to you, but in fact, in the first century, to the first-century Jews and the first-century Christians, uh, they were very familiar with this idea of astronomy and astrology. In fact, if you uh, archaeologists have found in some of the ancient synagogues that have been unearthed and some of the old churches, there were in fact uh, astrological maps or maps of the stars. They they definitely understood that God was speaking in this way. Now, folks, in case anybody thinks, oh, good, now I can go here and check to see if I'm a, if I'm a Leo or an Aries or a Virgo. No, 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 no. No, 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 don't do that. God has given us Jesus Christ, and he's given us his word, and that's what speaks to us now. And everybody said? Amen. amen. So please do not go checking out astrology. That is a demonic system today, and you must not go there. So... We understand that God speaks and not not through pagan systems, but he's speaking to pagans. Did you get that? So then we get to uh, these first verses of Revelation chapter 12, which I'm going to just tell you up front. It's always been a mystery to me reading these verses, and I, I've read all kinds of commentaries on it, and none of them were to me satisfactory uh, until I found uh, some of the a scholarship of Dr. Michael Heiser. So here's what it says in Revelation 12, 1 to 3. And a great sign appeared in heaven. Uh, some versions have a great event appeared in heaven. A woman, did you see that, hear that? A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. This was the great sign that, that, uh, that John sees. And verse 2, she was pregnant, this woman, And she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, I just want to point something out to you. In verse 2 here, we see an echo of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Remember, we talked about the proto-evangelium, Genesis 3.15. Well, Genesis 3.16, God tells Mary that she will have great pain in her childbirth. It's a reflection of that. Great agony in giving birth. Now, I want us to look at these signs, and, I've, and I've, I've, what I've done is I've eliminated verse 2 because it's, it's not printed to our discussion at the moment, but I want you to look again at the great signs that appeared in the heaven. This is what John says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman, watch that, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and on her head 12, uh, uh, a crown of 12 stars, and then another Sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads are seven diadems. I just want to quickly point something out to you because some of you are wondering about the seven heads, the seven ten horns, and the 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 the, the seven diadems. We know when we talk about the number seven, what do you think of? Some of you are thinking perfection. No, it's not perfection here. It's completion. What what John is saying is that this beast, this dragon. Is, 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 is great beyond our, our belief and our, even our comprehension. And his ability, his mental agility is great. But here's what you need to know. As great and as intelligent as the, the great red dragon is, he's not as great as God is. God is omniscient. Satan is not omniscient. Does everybody understand that? Some people are afraid of Satan. You don't need to be afraid of Satan. You need to be afraid of God. This is what the Bible says. Did you get that? Don't be afraid of Satan. You need to to fear God. Okay, so let's take a look at this. And what are these great signs that John sees in the heavens? The first thing I want you to see is the woman. The woman is none none other than the constellation Virgo. Virgo, in case you don't know, is in fact Latin for the virgin, and by the way, it's the only female zodiac sign. Really important to see that. This woman represents the, the people of Israel, but also may represent the Virgin Mary. We call this a dual prophecy and a dual fulfillment of prophecy. You heard me talk about that in the last few weeks. The 12 stars around her head uh, is really what gives it away. These, uh, these represent the 12 tribes of Israel, And she's giving birth to the Messiah, the king. Now, can I just remind everybody that God said to Abraham, what? He said that through your line, through your seed, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. And of course, God is speaking about the coming of the Messiah. Really important that you understand that. And then the next thing that you see is the great red dragon. Now, In these verses is a message here in the sky. It's about the birth of Jesus. The Magi, they they were able to understand this, and many of the learned Jews of this day would have clearly understood what this is about. These are great signs of great and well-known constellations. John is saying, I'm seeing all of this at the same time. Now, this is going to blow your mind. John is describing the alignment of constellations, certain constellations. He's talking about the alignment of uh, one of the great planets, Jupiter, and also the great star, Regulus. Some of you know about that. And John says that as he's looking at the woman, she's clothed with the sun. What does that mean? Well, there's a period of time every year uh, I'm not sure if it's every year or once, uh, once or twice in a century. Uh, that escapes me. But, but there's a time when it's as though the sun is clothing the constellation Virgo, or in this case, the woman. There's a time when, and obviously the sun doesn't shine at night, otherwise it wouldn't be night. But there's a time when the sun passes through the belly of the virgin. Now just think about that for a moment. The sun is passing through the belly of the woman. Remember, the woman, Virgo, means virgin. And the sun is there for about 20 days, situated in the belly of the virgin. Now, you may remember that a few weeks ago, I said, I read to you a passage from Malachi, and at the end of the service, I told you to say to each other, judgment is coming, Merry Christmas. Remember that? Well, in that passage of Scripture, Malachi 4.2, here's what it says. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. Folks, I want you to see something there. When it talks about the Son of Righteousness, it's not S-O-N. It's S-U-N. The Son clothes the woman, passes through her belly. Very interesting, Malachi 4.2. And then it says that the moon is situated under her feet. Now, remember, we're talking about the alignment of, of constellations, of planets. The sun is in the right place. The moon is here. I want you to see something that'll blow your mind. The moon is situated at the feet of, the, of, of Virgo for 80 minutes. And that's it. There's a very precise and specific time when this happens. And scientists are able to go back in history, and they're able to determine all the times in history when this event happens. Now keep that in mind. And then we see, of course, the 12 stars around her head. And if you look into any atlas of the constellations, they will show you 12 stars around the head of Virgo. Very interesting. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. Above Virgo's head, the virgin's head, is another constellation. Its name is Leo. Leo is Latin for lion. And immediately what should jump into your mind is the lion of Judah. Who is the lion of Judah? None other than Jesus Christ. Now, watch what happens So you've got the constellation Virgo. You've got the sun passing through her belly. You've got the moon at her feet. You've got King Jesus represented above her head. And then we get Jupiter, which is called the king of the planets, and you get Regulus, which is called the king of stars, called the kingly star, it's a bright star seen in the constellation Leo. It's the brightest star in the constellation and among the brightest in the Earth's night sky. The word Regulus means little king or prince. Who do you think of? Jesus. Jupiter, the kingly planet. And what we see then is we see a convergence of Jupiter and Regulus And we see them moving together. In fact, it looks looks like Jupiter's got a retrograde motion, making it look like the star is actually moving. And this is what many scholars believe is what the Magi would have seen, the star of Jesus showing the Magi where Jesus is. Now you say, well, what about the red dragon? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. At the feet of Virgo, just below the moon, are two more constellations. It's the constellation Scorpio and Libra. But here's the thing. In in John's day, in ancient times, there there was no Scorpio and Libra. In fact, those two constellations were in fact joined together, and they had they had a name. And that name is the dragon the dragon waiting at her feet for the birth of Jesus now I want you to see something there's only an 80 minute window for all of this to happen and John is seeing this really he's seeing this 80 minute window that's that's the great signs that he's seeing in the heavens where satan is waiting for the birth of Jesus it's it's in the heavens. Remember, the heavens declare, proclaim the glory of God. The heavens speak. Now, here's what is maybe common knowledge to, to some of you here, but it is absolutely common knowledge when you come to this scholarly literature on the date of Christ's birth. Based on the events of the Gospels, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 2 and then also in Luke and in Mark, We know that, in fact, Jesus' birth was not 1 A.D. It was somewhere between 2 B.C. and 6 B.C. And scholars are arguing over which date is it. But interestingly, it's only Dr. Michael Heiser that includes Revelation 12 in the discussion of when Christ is born. So if the scientists go back and they look into history as to when all of these, this, the stars, the constellation, the planet, the moon, the sun. When that all of this lines up, as John describes it, there's only one time. Are you ready for this? September 11th, 3 B.C. And then we got chills going down your arms and legs. 3 B.C. September 11th is what we believe is the true birth of Christ. Now, here's where it really gets incredible. The only date that includes all of these all of these signs for centuries is 3 BC September 11th. Do you know that September 11th, 3 BC is Tishrei 1? I know there's no Jewish people here today, but if if you were Jewish, you would know that Tishrei 1 was in fact the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, a sacred day in the Jewish calendar, sometimes called the celebration of the Feast of Trumpets. Think about the night when the angels appeared to the shepherds. Think of the mighty trumpets that were blowing. Many kings in in Israel's history, set Tishrei 1, the first day of the Jewish New Year, they set this as the, the day of their inauguration, the first day of their reign. This is the first day of the reign of Jesus Christ. This is the first day of the King of the Jews. This... Tishrei 1 is considered the the birthday of Adam and Eve. Adam, the first Adam, failed miserably, attacked by Satan. He gave in to the temptations of Satan, and as you know, sin entered the world. And on Tishrei 1, the second Adam comes. His name is Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve failed in the garden, but when Jesus was tempted in the desert, Satan could not overcome Jesus. He tempted Jesus with all the kingdoms of the world if you would just bow down to him. And Jesus refused. What Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden, Jesus regained in the desert at the temptation and I hope the Spirit of God's working in your heart right now and, and stirring your heart up and giving you a great sense of wonder and joy at the Christmas story. Jesus Christ conquered Satan in the desert, and Satan knew at that moment he's in big trouble, he's in very big trouble. For millennia, he held, he held sway over the children of Israel. But suddenly... The second Adam, this new Adam, who is without sin, could not be tempted. Satan knew he was in big trouble. He knew that his days were numbered. And so what happens, my friends, is that Satan, knowing that, that there is a coming Messiah and worried about what this Messiah would mean for him, the end of his rule, he, he now is terrified. That big, red, ugly dragon is now terrified. There's something that scares the red dragon. You see, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, hallelujah. That big, red dragon, with all his threats, with all his craftiness, with all his brilliance and his intelligence, no match for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Woo! And I'm going to tell you that there's nothing that the dragon wants more than to devour the baby Jesus. He wants to kill Christ. And I'm going to tell you, he's been attacking the Jews and he's been attacking Christians ever since. He wants to destroy the people of God. He wants to destroy the people through whom Christ comes to the world. Do you know that Jesus Christ comes to the world today through, through, through Christians, through the people of God? We bring the message of Christ to a broken world. We bring the message of Christ to people who are lost and who are perishing. And maybe that's some people here today. You, you have not put your faith in Christ. You've been holding back. And you're saying, I'm looking for proof. Folks, I have for five weeks now given you more proof than you've heard in a lifetime for the reality of the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Proof after proof after proof. If you were a mathematician or a physicist, you'd have to step back and say, I've never seen so many proofs. Obviously, the conclusion that you come to must be correct. When I hear people talk about the fact that Christianity is mythology and it's a blind leap in the dark and you can't, you can't put stock in this stuff, it's mythology, I'm thinking, you're a liar, you don't know what you're talking about, you're intellectually lazy. And you're intellectually dishonest. We have the proofs in the heaven. We have the literary proofs. We have the historical proofs. We have the proof of transformed lives. How much more proof do you know need that Jesus Christ is who He says He is? He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the Master of the Universe. And I'm happy to tell you today, He's my Lord and Savior. Has anybody got chills going up and down your spine yet? Don't tell me that Christianity is a myth. If you're going to tell me that, you're going to have to prove it. I've proven to you that it's real. And by the way, this can all be verified by any any scientist who deals with astronomy. Go back in the records. You can find it yourself. It's well known. Oh, my. Well. Wow. Here's what happens, verse 4. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky. We recognize that this is the third of the angels. The dragon brings all these angels with him, all these rebellious angels, and he threw them to the earth. You're going to see what this means in just a moment. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby, Jesus, as soon as the baby was born. Now, folks, we need to go back to Matthew chapter 2, and we need to read about the dragon who who reveals himself in King Herod. This is Matthew chapter 2. The Magi went to the king and asked the king, where is the king of the Jews to be born? And this troubled Herod greatly, and it troubled all of Jerusalem with him. And, of course, Herod doesn't know. He's a he's a a a pagan, wicked, wicked, secular king. He's no interest in the things of God. Interested only in one thing, and that's power. And so Herod goes to the teachers of the law and they said, Well, that's easy. You can answer that question. We know exactly where Messiah is to be born. Bethlehem. And so we read in Matthew 2 8. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem, that is Herod, who is the dragon. Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. How many know that Satan is a liar? He's a deceiver. Oh, Herod suddenly got all got religion. But watch this in Matthew 2.12. When it was time for the Magi to leave the baby Jesus, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So then we read, she gave birth to a son who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Now, Jesus' language, do you remember this language? You talked about this, talked about a fulfillment of the the prophecy in Genesis, where, where Jacob is blessing Judah and saying that out of the line of Judah... This is why Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. Out of the line of Judah would come a ruler. This is what we're talking about here, folks. It's a fulfillment from Genesis. Something that happened thousands of years before a son who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. Let me quickly try to go through this so that you can understand it. First of all, it says she gave birth to a son who was to rule all the nations. So why does Jesus want to kill Jesus, or why does Satan want to kill Jesus? And it's for the simple reason that she's giving birth to a son who will rule all nations with an iron rod because her son Jesus Christ is none other than the Messiah that the prophets spoke about. In Psalm 2, David gives a prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah. You can look all this up yourself. Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 to 9, "'The Lord said to me, "'You are my son, today I have become your father. "'Only ask, and I will give you the nations "'as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession.'" What happened in the Garden of Eden? God, in Genesis 2, said to Adam and Eve, your job now is to govern the world. This is the world I'm giving to you to govern. You will rule over it, and you will advance my kingdom on this planet. And that's when Satan moved in there and persuaded them not to do God's will, but to do his will. Folks, listen to me. The mark of a follower of Jesus Christ is that he prays every day, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Adam and Eve didn't do that. Sin enters in. Whoa. And David says, the day is coming. The day is coming. When God will take back the earth. The world that Satan has been the prince of. Remember, I told you his name at the beginning. He's the prince of the air, the prince of this planet. He rules. When people die, there's, they don't go to heaven and before, before the time of Christ. Where do they do? They're held in captivity by Satan. Because Satan is the guardian of hell, if you will, the place of death. We call it Hades. Satan. Is in a very lofty place and he's there for several thousands of years. And when he hears this prophecy from Psalm chapter 2, he knows what it means. And it says, You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. David is looking forward to the day when Jesus, the Messiah, comes. It sets everybody free. Listen, folks, until you put your faith in Christ, Satan has got you. He's holding you captive. You are his thing, you are his plaything. He can do whatever he likes because you are still under his rule that was established in Genesis chapter 3 when your fathers, your forefathers, chose to reject. God, and chose to listen to or believe Satan. And by the way, Satan heard the prophecy in Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium. Someday you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And so what do we find Satan doing in chapter four? The proto-evangelium, chapter three. In chapter four, Satan comes into Cain and inspires him to do what? To kill his brother. Why? Because Satan thinks that Abel's the one that's going to crush his head. Satan's been doing this throughout history. You need to understand this story to understand what's been happening through the history of humanity. Satan's constantly trying to kill the Jews, have you noticed that? He keeps trying to stamp out the people of God. He's trying to stamp out all Christians. Why? because the Christians bring the message of Jesus Christ that will set people free. So Satan knows that that Jesus is the one who will crush his head. He knows that Jesus is the one who will rule all the nations. In other words, Jesus will take back the planet. It belongs to Jesus. And he's the only one who will finally destroy Jesus. Now I want you to see the second phrase here, and her child was snatched away from the dragon. In Matthew 2.13, it says, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod the dragon is going to search for the child to kill him. It's right there, my friends, in Matthew chapter 2. And then we read further on in the chapter, Matthew 2, 16 to 18. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. He wasn't quite sure when the baby was born, but he wasn't taking any chances. And he did this based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, verse 18. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. This is what the dragon does: killing off God's people. We see it in the Old Testament over and over and over again. What is what remember when Moses was born? At that time, what did Pharaoh say? We got to kill off these people. He wanted all the boy children put to death. The dragon's been doing this for centuries, for millennia, trying to kill off God's people to prevent the Messiah from coming to us to save us. But Satan doesn't know who he's dealing with. And then it says that the baby was caught up to God and to his throne. Oh, folks, this is where it gets so exciting. On Good Friday, Satan, the dragon, inspired the religious leaders and the Roman leaders to kill Jesus. The dragon is rubbing his claws together. (laughs) We finally got him. We finally got him. And on that Good Friday, Jesus was beat to a pulp at the instructions of the religious leaders and, those, and the leaders of Rome, those soldiers beat, beat him up. So you could not even see what he looked like. Crown of thorns on his head, his face is a bloody mass of dried blood and gushing blood. Oh, there's nothing that the red dragon loves more than to see us broken and ashamed. And Jesus, after he was beaten, they nailed him to a cross, bare naked. We never show that, do we? Any crucifix you ever see, he's always got a loincloth on. Not so in reality. Jesus hung, wounded and broken, pierced through his hands, through his side, and through his feet. And Satan is rubbing his claws together. We got him. Hey, you know, this is exactly what Satan wants to do to every one of us. Wants to destroy us. Wants to shame us. Humiliate us. Strip us bare. Embarrass us in front of everybody. Thank God we have someone we can put our faith in who understands everything that we go through. His name is Jesus. Jesus then was placed in a grave, and there must have been a mighty party in hell. Can you just hear all the imps and demons of hell screaming joyously that the Messiah has been put to death? That was Friday. Sunday's coming. That was Friday. Sunday's coming. Satan, smart as he was, he forgot one small point. When God pronounced the death penalty, it was upon those who were disobedient, Jesus was never disobedient. In fact, you read throughout the Gospels over and over and over and over again how Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only do what the Father. You see me, you see the Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our example, our model. He is the second Adam who does the will of God. Satan forgot that Jesus was without sin. The penalty of death is for sinners only. It didn't apply to Christ. So therefore, there's no grave that can keep Jesus down. You can put boulders on top of him. You can put, you can put slabs of marble on. You can, you can put a mountain on top. and <coughs> nothing's going to keep down Jesus because he was innocent without sin. And on that third day, Jesus arose from the dead. All of humanity had been kept captive to Satan in his clutch, in the dragon's clutch. All of us were at one point in Satan's clutch, in the dragon's clutch. You know what I'm talking about. And some of you still may be in his clutch. But the Bible says that Jesus came to set the captive free. That's you and that's me. That's the story of Christmas, people. Jesus came to set the captive free. He came to do battle, to wage battle with the dragon. And Jesus was resurrected and then caught up to God into his throne. We call it the ascension. You see what John has done here for us? He's given us a bird's eye view of what has happened. He's given us a bird's eye view of the great battle. He's given us a view of the victory that came through Christ. I want to show you something. Watch this. But Jesus was on the planet. What is he doing during his 3 years of ministry? He's preaching, yes. What else is he doing? He's healing the sick. Hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Satan's thinking, this is my territory. If I want people to be sick, that's my business. But Jesus is overruling, overruling, Satan, the prince of this era, the prince of this world. He's overruling. And somebody dies, and what does Jesus do? He raises us from the dead. Hold on a minute, Jesus, you can't do that. I am the ruler of the air. Jesus says, watch me. Watch what I can do. There's no power no power that can take Jesus down. Jesus stands up in the temple. He proclaims that he is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. And immediately, Satan, the dragon, comes among the people and and stirs them up and they want to throw Jesus off the cliff. He couldn't throw him off the cliff because it wasn't his time. Anybody thinks that Jesus went to the cross against his will, you are totally mistaken. Jesus says, I I lay my life down. Nobody takes it from me. I lay my life down. Satan doesn't take my life from me. I'm laying it down. Satan thought when he had Jesus in the place of crucifixion on the cross that he was winning a battle. He had no idea that Jesus went there willingly. This is what Jesus came to this earth to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. Wow. And so Jesus raises the dead, and then he casts out demons. Listen, the demons all knew who Jesus was. The, the teachers of the law, they were supposed to be so close to God, they didn't have a clue what they were looking at. But the demons knew who Jesus was. In fact, they even asked him permission. Hey, instead of us just being thrown into the water, can we go into those pigs? And Jesus says, yeah. Why does Jesus do that? To prove who he is. I can, tell, I can tell demons to go anywhere I want them to go. I am the Messiah. I am the king. I am, in fact, the king of the universe. They didn't know exactly what was going on. Satan is powerless against the Christ child. And I want you to know something, folks. Satan is still in the business of persecuting God's people. He's still doing that and i want to read to you next passage from revelation listen to this revelation chapter 12 verse 10 then i heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens it has come at last salvation and power and the kingdom of our god and the authority of his christ it's come at last wow for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him, how? By the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. Do you remember what I said? On earth as it is in heaven. What happens on earth is happening in heaven. While Jesus is doing battle on this earth, the angels are busy doing battle in heaven. But terror will come on the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Satan has little time left. He knows his days are numbered. And when the dragon realized he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the child, to the male child there's no question we're talking about Jesus Christ. Now I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now. Some of you are struggling with temptation right now. You're struggling with sin in your life. And you think the only way that you are going to be an overcomer is if you can learn how to be good enough, Then just be good enough. Humans have been trying to do that for thousands of years. And it doesn't work. But pastor, does this mean I don't have to be good anymore? Oh, no, no, that's not what I said. Because the Bible is clear, without holiness, no one goes to heaven. Did you get that? Without holiness, you don't go to heaven. There's a place reserved for you. It's right next door to Satan. I want you to know something today. You don't have the ability to defeat Satan. Satan. But there is one who is able to defeat Satan in your life. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the victor. You don't win battles. Jesus wins the battle. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Some of you have failed. You have sinned. Maybe backslidden. You've fallen short and you think, Oh, I got to get saved again. No, you don't. If you're truly saved, if you're born again, you can't be unborn again. You can struggle in your life, and and we all do. We all have that moments where we're backslidden, but that doesn't mean you're not a Christian anymore. So great is the work of Jesus Christ that he washes away all your sin as though you had never sinned. And so... Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. Some people think, well, I got to do this. I got to get this all together my breastplate of righteousness. I got to get on my helmet of salvation. I got the sword. I got to get the belt of truth. And I got to get my feet ready to preach the gospel. This is what I do. No, it's not. It's what Jesus does. You put your, your, your full attention and focus on Jesus Christ. And you come to his throne. And you ask for forgiveness. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, even the unrighteousness that comes after you're converted. The difference between the old you and the new you is that one time you were going in the wrong direction. But when you became a Christian, you repented of your sin, repented of your way of life. You were in Satan's, in the dragon's claws, and you were doing whatever the dragon wanted you to do. But in that day that you were converted and born again... Christ commanded Satan to let you go. He dropped you like a dead fish. Jesus came to you and he resurrected you. He breathed new life into you. And so now you are alive in Christ. You are one with Christ. You are crucified with Christ. You're baptized. You are buried with Christ. You are resurrected with Christ. And someday you will have a glorified body like Christ. Hallelujah. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is who we are. This is is the Christmas story. Jesus Christ is more than a conqueror in you. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we thank you today for the great message of Christ's birth. The great message that Jesus Christ has come to conquer That seven-headed, ugly, deceitful, wicked creature called the devil, the deceiver, Satan, the adversary, the accuser and slanderer of the brethren, Jesus came to defeat him. And right now, all who have put their faith in Christ are, in fact, more than conquerors through Christ. Father, today, Satan has been whispering in the ears of the people of our church, and Satan is saying you'll never be good enough, and we've been believing him. Oh, God, forgive us for listening again to the words of Satan. He has been nothing but a liar. He has caused nothing but grief. Today, oh, God, we want to hear your voice and your voice alone, and your voice is this. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are heavy burden, and I will give you rest. You call us to yourself, O God, with forgiveness in your hands, with healing, O God, in your hands. O Father, we pray for each one who today who is so overwhelmed by sin. God, may they see today that Jesus Christ is greater than all the sin that they've ever or ever could commit. Hallelujah, we thank you for the great Savior, for the great salvation that is ours through Jesus. Father, I commit this congregation to you now, praying, Father, that for those who have not become Christians yet, that perhaps this would be the day of complete and full surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're my Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are Lord over so many lives here today we commit ourselves to now, in Jesus' name. And everybody said it with me. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> tell, that, tell that person beside you, the dragon is defeated. Merry Christmas. <laughs>